Uncovered series, and this this whole series is really the um, the hope is my hope is that this would not just be something that I'm teaching and then is never retaught, but uh, the hope is that you would go, you would take this, and that you would reteach this Bible study. You have access to this Bible study. I was just talking to somebody before church. They said, "Hey, where can I get that? Where can I get this?" Um, Get this Bible study uh, handbook, the teacher's handbook that uh, that I have up here. You can pick that up in our bookstore. And really, we are selling it for less money than you can buy it anywhere. Uh, they have it online that you can you can purchase this from, but uh, or from the original church that uh, that published this. And we are selling it for thirty dollars, which you can't you can't get it for that price online. And so, I'd encourage you. Um, to to pick that up, and you can take this with you on Bible studies, just uh, any type of a Bible discussion that you're having with somebody, and you can hopefully uncover the Word of God for somebody and have their eyes opened to um, to what this great best selling book of all time, Amen. What this is all about, because it's more than just a book that should be sitting on our shelves collecting dust, Amen. There were some. Powerful, powerful truths in this, and I know that this is uh, for some maybe um, you know not a lot of new material as we're going through this, and it's it's kind of an overview of the Bible. But uh, but really, what we're trying to do is is to encapsulate different uh, different parts of of Scripture so that when they're referenced, even at other times, that um, somebody new to the faith may not know the references that you and I know. They didn't grow up in a Sunday school class. I'm thankful for my upbringing. I I grew up in an apostolic church uh, with a great Sunday school program. And from an early age, uh, the Sunday schools, uh, classes that I grew up in, we we went from, it wasn't Necessarily in chronological order, but from Genesis to, to Revelation, we covered everything in, in the, the Bible, and we were able to get the full, uh, you know, everything that uh, everything was uncovered. This Bible was uncovered, but not everyone has that. There's many people coming into coming into the church, and they hear sermons preached. Or maybe you, they just hear in a, in a discussion that you're having with them, and you reference. Solomon, and they have no idea who Solomon is, and that's what tonight we're going to get into. So I won't won't belabor this any longer, but uh, let's let's get into it tonight. We're going to look at the history of Israel, the history of Israel, and now I want to just mention something. We've already talked about Israel uh, in in a previous lesson. We talked about the fathers of the faith. And in that Fathers of the Faith lesson, two, I believe it was two weeks ago, we, we talked about Israel. And so when we, when we say Israel, and this isn't on your Bible study sheet, so you might, might want to write this down. We could, we could be talking about three different things. Whenever Israel is mentioned, you could be referencing three different things. Probably even, we could probably expand that to, to more, but the first reference that Israel might be uh, pointing to is a person. 
a man whose name was Israel. In fact, that wasn't his, his given name. That wasn't the name at his, uh, he was given at birth. He was born Jacob, but after an encounter that he had with God, God renamed him to Israel. God said, you're no longer going to be known as Jacob, but from this day forward, I want you to be known as Israel. And so we see this, this man, Israel, and uh, he was one of the fathers of the faith. He was a very uh, important um, man in Scripture. And out of him, we have 12 sons that were born. There were 12 sons that were born. And so the second, the second um, thing that we could be referring to when you see that word Israel, or see that name Israel, is the children of Israel. They're referred to as Israel. And it's the, the family of Israel. Many times they're referred to as just simply as Israel in Scripture. But this is the, the family, the extended family. You, I said, I said 12, uh, 12 sons, but those 12 sons, they became, um, you know, they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And so you ended up having millions of people and... They weren't quite a nation. For a long time, they were not, they weren't a nation with a land. They were just a people. They were a family. It was the children of Israel. And, and it was, it was that family. And so, uh, you have, um, we could be referring to that. The third, the third thing that we could be referring to when you see that word Israel, is the nation of Israel. And we're talking about a specific geographical location. The nation of Israel. In fact, there is still a nation of Israel. And it has not been continuous from the time of, of biblical times up until now. But uh, as far as the geographic location of where Israel is on a map today, it's in the same place as it was then. Uh, at least um, generally the same place may not have the exact same boundaries. Uh, I believe that uh, that it will get to a place and uh, ought to be the place that God had promised Israel. And, and in fact, I want to uh, admit admit to pray and and we didn't. I, I kind of skipped over that tonight. Our time of prayer. We'll we'll finish up our service tonight with the time of prayer for some needs that we have in the church and. Included in that, I want us to pray for Israel, the nation of Israel, current day, the nation of Israel. And perhaps you've seen in the news and uh, for some reason it's not covered like some other things seem to be covered in the news. But uh, Israel right now has been under under fire from, uh, from Palestinians. And so uh, I want us to pray. I want us to pray for the nation of Israel. We're going to do we'll do that at the conclusion of our Bible study tonight. But you have those three different things. When we say the history of Israel, it started out with a man. And you see the kind of the progression of this. But started out with a man. It came and it ended up being a, or it turned into a family. That family turned into a nation. And then you have a geographic region that that, that nation is in. And that's the history of Israel. And so I want us to... Uh, to start out uh, kind of where we left off last week, which was this family of Israel, this this nation of or this uh, uh, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. They had been in bondage in Egypt. 
They had been set free. We have the Exodus story that we talked about last week and all that was involved in that. They had received God's law. Moses received that in Mount Sinai. And they began to, um, to implement God's law when they were there in the wilderness. I have a question, or ask this question. Um, how, uh, how long did God intend for them to, to stay in the wilderness? And this isn't necessarily a, a exact number of days or months, but just a short time, right? Just a, it, was, it was supposed to be just a passing through. You receive the law, you get this, you start to implement the, the matters of the law, you build the tabernacle, but you go and it's just a short time. You're going from Egypt and you're going to the promised land. But when they got to the, to where God was taking them, when they got to the promised land or the, the banks of the, the Jordan River on the opposite side of the promised land in this area of wilderness between Egypt and, and Canaan, Canaan would be the promised land. When they got between or almost there, they got cold feet about it. Now they'd had cold feet already at times traveling through the wilderness. They had complained several times and it said, let's just, let's just head back to Egypt. But, and now again, they're, they're complaining. And so it takes the, ends up taking them 40 years, 40 years before they end up crossing that Jordan River and going into that land of Canaan, that place that God had prepared for them to go and to become a nation. And so for 40 years, they, we see them, they wandered around. And if you follow the path of the, different places that it said they would set up camp. It's just them walking around in circles, walking around in circles in camp from encampment to encampment going. And for 40 years, they're wandering and, and, you know, complaining and doubt, I believe are two things that God despises. Complaining and doubt, two things that God, when he sees them, he, 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 he despises these these things. In fact, I believe that we keep ourselves from from receiving the blessings of God that He wants to give us many times because we doubt God's ability or because we complain about the journey that we're on. I believe that there are many things that God would want to do for us, but but sometimes it's just a process of us getting there. It's a process of us of us receiving these blessings that God would have for us. But because we complain as we're going through the process, we never end up seeing the blessing. Or because we doubt as we're in the process. The doubt ends up not allowing us to receive the blessing that God had for us. That that lack of faith that doubt, that that fear, the well, the, the different things as we as we're going through the process, we say, God, because I don't have it now, because I don't see it now, and uh, you know, I, I'm going to complain about it, and and we d- never end up seeing the very blessings that God wanted to uh, to give us at the end of the journey. But um, and that's that's exactly what we see with these people. In fact. In fact, even Moses, the leader, 
he did not get to see the conclusion of the matter of them going into the promised land. He, at one point, became angry. Angry at the people. He angry, kind of acted out and struck the rock several times. And and because of that, striking the rock, when uh, instead of just trusting God, he, God said that he would not see the promised land. And so towards the end of these 40 years, Moses dies and we see another leader that takes over. And so here I want to, I want to start right there as we get into, if you get your Bibles out, turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter one. Does anybody remember, this is going back, I believe, to our first Bible study, first of this series. Um, what were the first five books? What are those, what's the category of the first five books of the Bible? The law, that's right. So we have the law, and so now Joshua is um, the first book that we're coming out of the law, and we're going into the second category of books. What is this, this category called? The history. That's right. Got it. So we're uh, we're coming into the history, and that's exactly what this uh, Bible study tonight is is titled: the history of Israel. And so uh, we're beginning to see. And now, of course, there is um, history that's recorded in those books of law. We see uh, we see the journeys and the history of them. But but now uh, we start to see a story really unfold here. And beginning in Joshua chapter one. Verse number one, uh, we see this man, the servant of Moses, who would take over as uh, the God-appointed leader of, of the Israelites. And so, verse one, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. Jordan was a, uh, a dominant river there in the region. Go over this Jordan. Thou and all this people under the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. And then look at this promise that God extends to Joshua. He says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong. And of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, 
that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. When we see the parameters that God has for this new leader, he says, stick to the law, the very things that I've already handed down. One more verse. Have, I, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. I can imagine that Joshua intimidated, um, you know, somewhat, um, you know, looking at the position that God is placing him in, but God's uh, but God says, be strong and of a good courage. I am with you wherever you go. That's the promise that God had for Joshua. And what a, what a position for, for God to place him in as, as he says, okay, this is what the people have been waiting for. The people have been waiting for these 40 years of wandering. 40 years since they've been in Egypt. In fact... Only, only the, the 20 to 40 year olds, only, only those are the ones that have ever experienced anything to do with Egypt because everybody else that was over 20 has passed away. So for 40 years, they have, they've been wandering. I guess it'd be the 40 to 60 year olds would be the ones. And, uh, so they have, they have all of these, these individuals that, that have been waiting for this moment and God says it's, Finally, time to cross over the Jordan River. You're going to go and you are going to receive the inheritance that I have laid out for you. In fact, these are the borders. You can go everywhere that you step. That's going to be yours. All the way over to the Euphrates River. That's yours. See, God is, is promising all of this. This is under the leadership of Joshua. Now, I think it's interesting, uh, I've always just, you know, just looking at Joshua before he ever took over it, and as the leader of Israel, we see him. He, this isn't the first time that we read about Joshua. Does anybody else know uh, or remember some of the stories of Joshua, what else he was doing? We had, in fact, Sister Tina, you just, you mentioned the one uh, story where they were holding up the hands of Moses during that battle at the beginning of our service tonight. Joshua was not one of the ones holding up the, the hands, but what was Joshua do, doing during that? Anybody know? That's right. Joshua was the commander of the army. Joshua was the one that was down there at the battlefield. He was commanding the army. He was telling them where to go. And so at a young age, we have Joshua leading this, these troops into battle. And this, this, this Moses, we have Aaron and her that are holding up the, the arms of Moses. You have, you see Joshua again. When Moses travels up into the mountain, I guess I asked this question. I did have some hands raised. Oh, can I, anybody else know some of these times when Joshua was mentioned? Yeah, Brother Becker. That's exactly right. He was one of the original two, uh, original 12 spies that went into the, the land of Canaan. He was one of only two that came back with a positive report saying, we can go in, we can possess the land. You have Joshua and Caleb. 
So Joshua and Caleb become the only two that are over 20 years old from that point on that would survive to go into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb. And so, so you, we see him there. We saw him before that. When Moses went up into Mount Sinai, Joshua accompanied him up into the mountain. He was, he was the servant of Moses. He took care of Moses as, as he was there. Now, uh, it says that uh, Joshua stopped at one point. He wasn't there when Moses received all of this from God, but he also was not down in the encampment of Israel when they were building this golden calf and starting to worship this false idol. And so we see Joshua there. There is, there is a time when it, it talks about Moses going into the, t- the tabernacle, the tent. And it says Joshua was in there with him. And that all of a sudden the Shekinah glory of God, this cloud descended upon that tabernacle and, and they were in the midst, in the very presence of God for an extended period of time. And it says even Moses came out, but Joshua remained there still. And so we see the kind of man that Joshua was. He was a man of battle, a man that was, you know, able to lead the troops in the battle. He was a man that was a servant. He was serving Moses as Moses went up into the uh, went up into the mountain and would receive the receive the commandments and all these things from God. He was a man of worship he, and a man of prayer as he went into the tabernacle and he was there in the very presence of God. And so this is the kind of man that God chooses. God chooses Joshua. And he says, you are going to take over and lead these people. And he's a man of faith. He's a man of faith. I, I left that one out. A man of faith that when he went into that promised land, he came back and he says, I have faith. God said it. I believe it. I understand. I see the very the complications that everyone else sees. But I just have faith that when God says it, it will be done. Come on. This is the kind of man that God wants. A man of faith, a man of prayer, a man of worship, a servant and a leader. Somebody who would, who would go. And so God is, God is calling Joshua to lead and take over. And he knows that, um, that it's, you know, very probable or it's, it's, you know, for, for, it's just human nature that as you're leading people, you may, you may want to just please people. It's easy. When you become, you know, come into a position that, that you just want to please everyone, but, but God says this is, you take over this position, it's not about pleasing everybody. You need to stick to the law. Stick to the words that I gave to Moses. You know, don't, don't, don't stray from that. I know that people may think that those things are outdated, but do not stray from that because the only way that you're going to have my blessing is if you stick to the law. Stick to my words, and there may be things that you don't understand, but trust me, and I believe that he knew that he could trust Joshua in that situation, because Joshua had already proved it. So he's telling Joshua, be strong, be of good courage, you're going to go, and you are going to take these people into this next, this next um, place where, um, where I promise them where they will be able to go in and you can divide up the land. And it says, uh, or I should 
continue just here under the leadership of Joshua. And the Israelites, they eventually they do take their land. They go in one city at a time. And they're able to do this because God went before them and he drove out their enemies. And God went before them. We see them in miraculous battles. And just like the Battle of Jericho, probably the most famous of these, where um, very unconventional methods that God had for it. But he just said, trust me. And the walls fell down. They were able to um, to win that battle against that mighty city of Jericho. And so... God went before them. He drove out their enemies. In fact, in Exodus 23, 30, uh, this is a prophecy, but it says, little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. See, Israel had finally become an official nation with their own land, and this was going to be divided up between the 12 tribes of Israel. So we see that map there. That's up on the screen. And... Uh, you might not be able to read all the names of that. If you have a, a physical Bible there with you, you may be able to pull up in the back of that some maps. And, and in fact, my Bible, the first, first map is dividing the land. And it has, um, it has all these divisions. In fact, it looks like the same map. Is that up there? And we see these, these different, uh, places, these different, uh, geographical locations that have these these names of tribes those names of the tribes are the 12 sons of Israel actually it's when you see up there it's it's 10 of the sons of Israel and two of the sons of Joseph who are two sons of um, or which was one of the sons of, of Israel uh, but those are the the individuals who are or those are the the regions that uh, these this land gets divided into. And so we see them as they be, turn into this nation, this physical nation, that the way that they were supposed to be ruled as a nation was that God was in charge. They didn't, they weren't like other nations. They didn't have a king like other nations had. God said, you just live and, and I will set up some rulers that are there that are judges that, um, you know, that they would, you, you might come to them. It's not necessarily like the judges that we have today that they, they did have some of that, but they, um, uh, so, some people that they could go to and, and determine, you know, right and wrong, some different things that was also done in, in, by the priest, um, and elders of, of the, the place, but there were judges. There were people that would come up. And they would, um, they would help fight for Israel. That's really what these judges uh, were all about. And we get, go from the book of Joshua into the book of Judges. And we see something begin to happen with this nation of Israel. We see that they begin to fall into these cycles of, of living in, in evil and, you know, doing these, all these, beginning to, to worship the gods of, of these people that are, were around them. We see them fall into sin. And this is the cycle. In fact, there's seven cycles of this. Just in the book of Judges, we see seven times that the nation of Israel fell into sin. God would raise up a judge. And, and typically it was against the Philistines. This was a group of people 
they would come in and they would, uh, you know, some, some part of the, of the nation of Israel, they would take them under bondage and, and a, a judge would come up, a judge like, like Samson. God raises them up and, and sends them out and, and sets, sets, uh, these, them free from this bondage and, and they, they all repent. And we see this cycle, and this happens over and over. And in fact, all this can kind of be summed up, this span of time of the book of Judges, all of it can kind of be summed up in the very last verse of that book of Judges. It's in Judges chapter 21, verse 25. Judges 21, verse 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So there's no king, which doesn't, wasn't necessarily a bad thing because that's how God designed it. But the fact that every man did that which was right in his own eyes was not how God designed it. God told Joshua, go and do that which is right in my eyes. In other words, go and, and follow the, the law. You stick to the law. But, but it says that they went and they did that which was right in his own eyes. And that, we see that they got into a lot of trouble for that. And so eventually, eventually, uh, Israel demanded to have a national king instead of simply having God as their king. The very last of these judges was a man who was also a prophet named Samuel. And during this time of Samuel, you have the people rising up and saying, we need a king. We want to be just like every other nation. We want somebody that we can, we can turn to him when these nations rise up against us. We need somebody that we can go to. And, and Samuel, he says, I don't think you want this. You guys don't know what you're asking for. They're going to tax you. They're going to send your sons to war. They're going to, um, th- these kings are, are going to get you into a lot of trouble. But they said, we want a king. Give us a king. And so God acquiesces. God, he, he goes and he, he says, Samuel, go and anoint a king. Samuel, they're, they're rejecting me, God. God, I, I'm supposed to be the judge. I'm supposed to be the man that, that you have placed for the people to get their direction from. God says, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. They want a king. They're asking and they're calling all this nation. All these people are asking for a king who they can look to as their leader. They're rejecting me because they're supposed to be coming to me for their, uh, for their confidence in, in their future. They're supposed to be coming to me and, and understand that I will bless them wherever they go. And as long as they continue following me, as long as they continue worshiping me, they're never going to have any troubles or any need for a king. But that's not what they're doing. So God says, give them a king. And in fact, in the midst of that, God, um, he had someone who he led Samuel to, that God humbly called him to become the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. And Saul was a very humble man at the beginning of his, his, his time when he was anointed to be the first king of Israel. He said, I'm, I come from the tribe of Benjamin. It's the least of the 12 tribes. 
We have the smallest amount of land, the smallest number of people. And I come from a family inside of that tribe that is the least of the families. Who am I? That again, that's who God is looking for. God was looking for somebody who was humble. God was looking for somebody that would, um, would come with humility and understand that God was leading him. And so that's how King Saul starts. But unfortunately, it didn't take long for pride to enter into King Saul's heart. And we can, we can read about some of this in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. It says, that Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. In other words, your family, your family is not going to continue to, to reign as, as the rulers, as was the custom of that day. In most nations, it would pass down from family member to family member. He says, I, I would have done that, but you've turned from me. You have not kept my commandments. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the captain over his people because you have not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So because you have turned your back on me, I have found somebody who has my heart. God doesn't name him, but I think it becomes pretty evident to Saul as he sees God blessing this young man, David. And David, in fact, was anointed to be the king, to be the next king of Israel at, a, at an early age, a young age, but um, while, while Saul is still alive, but he would not become the king for, uh, for a long time after that. So he, he has to wait. He was anointed to be the next king in a, in a private ceremony, but he has to wait for a long time. And eventually, there comes a day when King Saul commits suicide instead of repenting of his sins. And so that's, that's where we see the first, the first king, the first, uh, the first ruler of Israel as far as the king goes. Uh, how, how his, his time as ruler uh, ends is in this midst of a battle. He gets injured, but then he ends up committing suicide instead of repenting and, and coming back to God. And so at that time, David is again anointed to become the king. He'd already been anointed to be the successor, but here uh, officially is anointed to become the, the king of Israel. And he is a worshiper. He's a warrior. He's a poet. He's a man after God's own heart. This is someone who, uh, who God saw from an early age, had the heart of, of, of a leader, the kind of leader that God wants, which is someone who would spend time with him. And so King David... Unfortunately, falls into adultery, conspiracy, murder. All these things at some point during his time as the king. In fact, we see that in 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 15, tell us this story of, of uh, David and, and his fall from grace. It says that it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. It came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed. He walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. 
So David, not being where he's supposed to be, he was supposed to be in battle. He stays at home during this time when he was supposed to be out of battle. And he, we see that David, he sent, he inquired after the woman. And he said, isn't this Bathsheba, Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? David knew she was married. Isn't this the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? But David, he sent messengers and he took her and she came into him and he lay with her for she was purified from her uncleanness and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I'm a child. And David said to Joab, send Uriah, the Hittite to me. And so Joab, the captain of David's army, Sends Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come to him, David said, uh, demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go to your house, wash your feet. Uriah departed out of the king's house and he followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah didn't, he, he slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord. He didn't go to his house. David's plan or having Uriah to go and sleep with his wife is not working. So when they had told David, and they said, Uriah went not down to his house, David said to Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? When that, Why then didst thou not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house? To eat and drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul liveth. I will not do this thing. This man is more honorable than David is. But David said to Uriah, tarry here today and also tomorrow. I will let you depart. And so Uriah stayed there in Jerusalem that day and the next day. And when David had called him, he did eat and he drank before him and he made him drunk. And it even... He went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go to his house once again. But it came to pass in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the front of the hottest battle, and retire ye him, that, ye, that he may be smitten and die. That's exactly what happened. As David sent his soldier, this man whom... His wife he had taken and laid with and and he goes and tells him, tells the captain of his army, make sure that this man dies. And why do we tell that story? I tell that story because we see that even though King David was this man that was the greatest king of all of Israel, he was a man who made some pretty big mistakes in his life. And if he would have stayed that course, if he would have stayed the course of continuing to make those types of mistakes, then he would have fallen um, out of God's good graces just like these other kings fell out of God's great good graces. But instead we see the heart of David was one where he repented. He repented of his sins he was restored back to God. And now that didn't mean that he didn't face punishment. He still faced punishment from God for his, his actions here. And, and this, his child, this child ends up dying and, and he, he grieves that loss of the child. But, but we see, we see King David, um, the, the repentant heart that he has. And, and in fact, he, he does have to be called out 
for it. There's a prophet, Nathan, that comes to him and calls him out for his sins. But when he gets called out for his sins, he, he comes to God, not like Saul, and saying, who are you? Who are you to tell me that I've done anything wrong? Or rather, he falls on his face and he cries. and He says, God, I'm a sinful man. God, you see the inside of my heart, Lord. Come and make it clean. Wash me. God, purify my heart. Lord, help me to, to be back in your, be able to come back into your presence. And this is the kind of man that, that when God sees him, he says, this is a man after my own heart. He makes mistakes. He falls, but he gets back up and he comes back to me. He repents of his sins and he's restored back to me. And so this, this is the man that, that we see, uh, God, God would say to David, he, he would say, it's out of you that you will have your seed become the ruler for all your generations. And it's out of you, there's prophecy that says, out of you will come the savior of the world. It would be out of the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, all that down the line of David that we would see. And we do eventually see that Jesus Christ being born from the tribe of Judah, from which David was born. And it is from the, the lineage of David that we see Jesus Christ that would come. And so it's from this man right here that God, he truly has God's heart. And continuing, I'm going slow tonight, but um, continuing, David, he has a son. Not his oldest son, but uh, one of his sons is named is Solomon. And Solomon would be the one that would inherit the throne after King David passes on. And um, I have that passage there. We're, we'll just we'll pass over that, uh, the reading of that just for the sake of time tonight. But uh, he, he ends up coming. King Solomon comes in. And he doesn't really have the proper experience for what a, uh, a king probably should have at that time. But he asked a very, very good um, thing of God when God comes to him and says, ask me for anything. Whatever you want, ask me. And when God would ask you that question, there's probably a lot of things that would go through your mind. Right? Hmm. If I could ask God one question, or ask God for one thing, and I knew that it was going to happen, what would I ask him? And King Solomon, knowing the position that he was in, he asked God, he says, give me wisdom. God, I, I want wisdom. And Scripture tells us that King Solomon was granted that request, and he was the wisest man who would ever be on the face of the earth. He was one of the wealthiest men who had ever lived. Uh, we see him, God, God throwing blessing upon blessing upon blessing on this man. And, uh, and he starts out in his life as this, this man who was expanding the kingdom of Israel. And it was at its greatest, uh, greatest, uh, you know, reaches as a, as a kingdom under, under the, uh, rulership of, of King Solomon. And he did much of this by forming alliances and, um, coming, uh, you know, into, um, coming into these agreements with these nations or these, these groups of people that were around 
are surrounding them, and he would often marry the daughters of, of these, uh, these kings and these rulers of these nations that were right around the king of Israel, or the, the, the kingdom of Israel. And that ends up getting him in a lot of trouble. Here he is. Honestly, I don't know how you can be called the wisest man to ever live and to have 700 wives. But it gets to a place where it says that he has 700 wives. And I can't imagine what that would have been like. I love one wife, but to have 700, that would be quite a thing. And not, probably not a good thing. And it got him into a lot of trouble because he married women who worship false gods and false idols. And they ultimately led him into this pattern of idol worship himself. And from what we can gather in scripture, it appears that, that Solomon himself, he died as an idol worshiper. That this man that, that God had called to be the next ruler of Israel and, and David, his father, being a, this great man of God. Uh, his son, who took over, ends up falling into this this idolatrous worship, and so we see him, and he dies as as an idol worshiper. And it's his son Rehoboam. If we go into the back, Rehoboam, King Solomon's son, would become the next king, and it's um, Rehoboam that he it's when he becomes the king, he makes some choices that he should not have made. Although there were, um, it was already prophesied that, that this would take place. Um, I always, in my mind, think Rehoboam and Jeroboam, that these are two brothers that got in a fight, just because their names are so similar. Uh, they are not brothers, uh, but this uh, Jeroboam, who was one of the officials of King Solomon, during the time that he was an official of King Solomon, uh, we see that there was a, a prophet named Ahijah who came to Jeroboam and he told him that he had had this dream and that God was prophesying that there was going to be a division, um, division of the 12 tribes of Israel and that Jeroboam would, uh, would uh, become the leader of 10 of those tribes. And so uh, it ends up Solomon gets wind of this. He wants to kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam flees. He goes to Egypt. After Solomon dies, Jeroboam comes back, and that prophecy of, of Ahijah ends up happening exactly uh, as, as was said. And so we have Rehoboam, the son of King Solomon, who ends up being the ruler of a split nation. So we have Rehoboam down here in the southern tribes, just two tribes, but they end up calling themselves just by the name of one, Judah. And you have the ten tribes up north that Jeroboam becomes the king of those. And so we have a civil war that breaks out. You have Jeroboam up to the north. You have Rehoboam down to the south. And uh, even though it, it you know appears unequal, ten to two, that nation or the Judah down south was still a very large region, and that encompassed. Judah, or that encompassed uh, Jerusalem, a very, very pivotal city. And Jerusalem would be the capital of the southern kingdom. Samaria would be the cap, uh, capital city of the northern ten tribes. 
So going through the history of Israel, these two kingdoms, they would remain divided for approximately 200 years. They weren't necessarily at civil war for all 200 of those years, but they were divided for all 200 years. And over the course of that time, we see 19 different kings that reigned in the northern kingdom of Israel and 20 different kings that reigned in the southern kingdom of Judah. Among all of these kings, only eight of them were considered to be good leaders in the eyes of the Lord. And all of the other kings led the people of God away from the blessings of God. Eight. Eight of those 39 leaders, 39 kings, only eight of them followed, followed the law of God. All the others led them into idol worship, Baal worship. They were offering sacrifices of their children. There were all these awful things. We had, we had in, in, the, in the north, the people that they were uh, worshiping these, these idols, these golden calves that were erected in Dan, the city of Dan, and, and all these, all these kind of things that were going on. And, and because of that, because of that, they end up being led back into captivity. It's not like, it's not like uh, the Egyptian captivity where, um, where they would become slaves in that sense. But in 722 B.C., in 722 B.C., we see the uh, captivity of Israel, that northern kingdom. And in 2 Kings 17, 6, it says, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and he carried Israel away to Assyria. Continuing, it says, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. The children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. That's the reason that we see the captivity of these people, uh, the, the Israelites or the, the Israel nation of the north in 722 B.C. They become the captives of this um, of the Assyrian uh, people. 587 B.C. 587 B.C. We see the same thing happen to Judah. First Chronicles 9.1 says, But Judah was carried away captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. Ezra 5.12 Because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. They had this, these generations of freedom, these, and, and now they're back in bondage because of their disobedience and their rejection of God's instructions. And in fact, this is where we see the prophets, we see that uh, that uh, fourth division, fourth and fifth divisions of the of the Old Testament, the uh, major prophets and the minor prophets. Their writings are about this kind of this captivity. It's, it's leading up to it. Some of the these prophets are living before the captivity, and they're saying they're warning them: if you don't turn away from your sins, God's going to bring judgment against you. You're going to become captives. You have some of the prophets who they're writing during the captivity. They're saying, you're still living in sin. If you want to be set free from your captivity, turn away from your sin. Your prophets are warning them. Turn away from the way that you're living. And then you have the prophets afterwards that uh, that, that write as well and, and are, are, are 
still prophesying of them uh, about getting right, getting everything back to uh, to how it should be, and and getting um, uh, into the place where God meant for them to meant for them to be. And so this is this is the story of the Old Testament of of the people of Israel serving God faithfully at times, turning away from God. And when they turned from God, eventually God would bring judgment against them. And he did that for these, for this nation, the split nation, in these two different time frames for the north and south. I want to go to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, because this, is, this was the answer. They wanted to know really how to get rid of their bondage. This right here was the answer to how they do it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And here's probably the most important thing that we can learn from this Bible study tonight. Is that what we see physically happening in the Old Testament happens so often spiritually today. That God has called you out. That God has saved you. On that that time where we kind of started this Bible study was them coming out of Egypt. They passed through the waters of the Red Sea. It, it, there's references to that, just talking about how how bap, that, that was like the baptism of the nation of Israel. When you you've been baptized, you've had His Spirit. You you've had uh, you know. You've had that new birth experience. And here they were, a new nation being born. And, and, and yet, they fall into sin. But the, the very most important thing that we must do, if you trip up, if you fall, get back up. Repent of your sins. Turn to Him. Come on, we see it physically that they would go into bondage during the time of the judges. They would go in and out of bondage depending on if they were serving God or if they weren't serving God. And it's not because God just hated them so much that He says, I'm going to make sure that you are are bound as long as you're not serving me. No, it's because sin binds people. Sin is bondage. And they were in sin. And sin always brings bondage. And it may have all these things. You know, there's, there had to have been something that was enticing about those other gods that they were serving. There had to have been something. And I don't understand it myself. And I've never been enticed to serve some golden calf that's been erected. But there are things that are enticing to us today that would get our eyes and our affection off of Jesus Christ. When you know things that would cause us to wander and you, you miss one service or you miss, come on, just, just one time of coming in and then that turns into the next time, the next time and there you get comfortable just living your life your own way. And just like at the end of the book of Judges, it says they live their life in whatever way was best in their own eyes. And we can do the same thing today. But the problem is with that is it's always going to lead to bondage. There's bondage that you will carry around in your life if you always are living it the way, whatever way you want and having your eyes and your affection turned to all these other things outside of God. But God has called us to Him. So what I love about God is that God is a God of many chances. God's forgiveness has no limits. And there are 
over the hundreds of years that these people, this nation was supposedly supposed to be God's people, they, they sure didn't, didn't act like it. They sure didn't act like God's people. They served all these other gods and did all these other, lived all these different ways, you know, the, totally opposite of how God's people should be living. And yet God said, I, God had forgiveness for them and God would still deliver them. God still gave them chances here where it says, if you would just humble yourselves and pray, if you would just seek my face, if you would just turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sins. I will heal your land. I'll bring you back to a place of of, a blessing. God is calling the same thing for us today. If you would just get down, humble yourself. If you would just turn to me, then I am right here. I am right here. God is not far away right now. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. God is one step away. You just humble yourself and say, God, here I am. I'm a sinner. And I've, I, I, you know, I've acted like I've lived my life for you. Or maybe this is you. You say, I've outwardly, uh, you know, expressed to others that, that my life is fully devoted to, to you. But yet, uh, internally, there's this turmoil, these things that I'm doing that nobody else knows about. And God says, come on, let's get those things fixed. Let's get right with me. God's just one step away. His forgiveness has no limits. Eventually, God allowed his people to return to their homeland. It's in 539 B.C. that King Cyrus, King Cyrus II and his Medo-Persian Empire conquered the Babylonians. This king would soon allow Israel to return home. This is under, you can read about this in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, how King Cyrus would allow them to go back and, and they eventually rebuild Jerusalem. They eventually rebuild this, this place. And you can see uh, some other scriptural references about this in Isaiah 44, 45, Ezra chapter 1, 2 Chronicles 36, Jeremiah 25. Uh, these, these things that uh, are pointing to... Um, God being able to, or God resurrecting the nation of Israel. And the reason was because God still had a plan. God still had a purpose for these people. And they would eventually fall back into some somewhat of bondage under the Roman people, but there would be one that would come and set them free, not just from a physical bondage, but from something that was far greater, a spiritual bondage that they had come, come under. Jesus Christ, we're going to talk about that next week. The arrival of Jesus Christ is just around the corner. The Old Testament writings that conclude with Israel awaiting this prophecy to be fulfilled. And it would soon be fulfilled of Jesus Christ coming onto the scene and fulfilling everything that they had always wanted throughout this, these thousands of years. These 4,000 years of the Old Testament scriptures was all pointing to Jesus Christ coming onto the scene in the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. When Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, he fulfills all of that. And the arrival of Jesus Christ is the greatest thing, the greatest thing that could ever happen to this this earth. Greatest thing that could ever happen to us here on this earth is that Jesus Christ would come. Amen. Well, that's where we're going to end our Bible study tonight. Uh, I I mentioned before that I want to end in in a time of prayer. And so if we could just stand all throughout this place, I want to just pray. We do have... Some needs uh, that we could pray for. If uh, the first 
first of which is we, we had our, uh, our book club, book club uh, connect group here last night. And uh, during that, Sister Eve Scarpa, she got a, a phone call from family who has who's been here at our, at our church. And um, 